Raider. How's it going, podcast fam? It's your boy, Jason Craig, a.k.a. the Friendly Neighborhood Dreadhead, and I'm here with another installment in my interview series, and today I have a special guest, Miss. She is a Army vet, an executive producer. I um, I read IMBD. I think she, she had minor roles or extra roles in some films. Um, Miss Christy Crandall. How you doing, Christy? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. It's been a while since I've had an interview on here. And I said, you know what? Let me go ahead and let me go ahead and set up another interview. I'm I, I have fun with this, getting to know different people from different walks of life. Yeah. So how you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. I, I had a session with a friend of mine today and she just opened up my eyes to a lot of different things and um kind of realigned me so now i'm more focused but um but no i had a great day that's good that's that's good that's good well hopefully we can pick your brain today so my audience can get to know you a little bit better okay and then we'll probably have some have some fun later on in the show with a few questions but uh so i saw on your bio that you were um that you were born in santa rosa california yes well, no, I was actually born in Sacramento. Oh, Sacramento. Raised in Santa Rosa and Bodega Bay. So kind of in between both places. We had homes in both places. So we would okay. go back and forth all the time. All right. So what was it like um growing what was it like uh for young Christy growing up? You know, my it was great. It was great. Um my parents were photographers. And so they were in the art industry, the art world, and they introduced me to that. So I spent a lot of time going around with them, doing different things. Um, in Bodega Bay, we had a, a beach house that growing up, my backyard was the beach. <laughs> <laughs> so we had, to, we had to climb down the, the cliff to get to it. But uh, my brother and I just had the best days out there. And um, I was exposed to a lot of different things artistic. So it was a good childhood. Okay, so, well, would you say that that's where you got your where you got the the creative bug from was from your childhood Absolutely. being around being around your parents since they were both in uh, you said both of them were in art. Yes, yes, oh. they both were. Mm-hmm. Okay, that 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 is really nice because you know I don't know many people that's families they started in art they like they their family roots are in art and then the child goes to do art like me my mom was a sociology major and here i am i'm i'm wanting to be a screenwriter and a director oh fun (laughs) yes so uh also i saw that you were in the military also thank you for your service thank you i appreciate it so um what led you to joining the military you know okay so my my father was in the military and my grandfather and they used to tell me stories, this, these great stories about their experiences and the adventures that they had. And um, I wanted a little piece of that. I thought, right. you know, and I was the first woman to join. I was 17. My dad had to sign a contract so that I can join early before 18 years old. 
Um, but I graduated high school and three days later I was in the army in basic training and then on to AIT and then on to a career. And I spent, let me see, 20 plus years active duty. I uh, started out as a, as a helicopter mechanic. Oh, sounds like fun. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, but I, at the time I was dating that a guy that was a pilot and that was kind of fraternization. So I had to move into a different field. Mm-hmm. So I didn't marry him, but um, I went to be an x-ray tech and I decided I didn't like blood. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Oy, I know. So I thought, well, I'm in the wrong career field. So I, I applied for a hip pocket scholarship with General Riley and he gave it to me. Oh, okay. And University of Tampa and became an officer after that and spent the last 12 years as an officer. Oh, okay. So what would you say, uh, what was your life like in the military? Ooh, um, the military is not for everybody. I'll say that. And that's, that's <laughs> the given, but um, it was an adventure. I mean, I had my own trials and tribulations and things and challenges that I had to go through. Hor- horrible things happened, but at the same time, amazing things happened. I had the best mentors. I had people that that took me under their wing and um, and guided me to, to move my mountains to to be a better person, not just right. a better soldier, but a better person. And I got to travel quite a bit, which is great. I, I was stationed in Germany at one point and for four years. And I think I went to almost every country over there. <laughs> my kids in tow. Oh, nice. So it was great. But um, I did not, I did not deploy. I'm one of the few that did not deploy. Um, it was a situation where my ex and I were married and he was the more the warfighter as a pilot, whereas mm-hmm. I was, I was a human resource officer. All right. So we would end up in different brigade or in the same brigade. And they would say, oh, you know, we want to take him forward and you're going to see him rear detachment. And that got really frustrating after a while. Cause I kept saying, well, I want my chance. I, I want to be able to contribute just like everybody else. Right. Instead they decided to make me a casualty affairs officer. Oh, wow. That does not sound fun at all. It was so hard, but so rewarding. Right. Um, it was hard because, you know, I ran the CAC out of Germany and that's um, the Casualty Affairs Center mm-hmm. out of USER. And I would see every casualty that occurred downrange and they would cross my desk as far as the casualty report. And there's the army's got a policy where within four hours of that death that they have to notify the family. So it's all mum. We can't, I can't say anything to anybody. Um, and just process it forward as quickly as possible to the CMOC. And then they go out and do notifications. And, um, the hardest thing was seeing names of my friends. Oh yeah. Coming across my desk and not being able to do anything. Um, but then when I got back to Fort Hood, they made me a casualty assistance officer. And I had some really great experiences with, with some of the families. I, um, I bonded with them. There was one family that was in Texas and it just all these coincidences kept occurring and we kept coming together. And in the end, it was just this beautiful story. Um, and we're friends to this day. So when they lost their soldier, I was able to step in and, and help, you know? Right. Um, so that's really rewarding. It's really rewarding. Um, but just like any job, I mean, you have good days and bad days. Yeah. And I, I share both. <laughs> 
Okay. So yeah. do you have like any interesting stories from your time in the military? Um, well, I'll tell you this story about one of my casualty. Okay. Let me see if I can kind of abbreviate it because it's actually very long. But um, there was an individual that passed away downrange. And I was on the casualty uh, assistance list. I was number four on the list. So that means that when they, the number one person's the guy, next guy called, and then they go out and do their notification or their assistance and whatever. Well, that day, um, they called the first guy. He didn't answer. They called the second guy. He didn't answer. And remember, remember we got like four hours, right? Right. Third guy didn't answer call me. And of course I pop on the phone. I'm like, hi, you know, and they asked me to help. And I said, absolutely. And of course. So, um, I reached out, I went right into the office and I pulled his, his record and I reached out to all the different assets that I had, which was like the firing squad and, and the, um, escort duty driver and the chaplain and the general, I got all this, all these people together. Cause it's a team that moves forward and, and does the, um, the funeral talked with the family. Um, strangest thing was the family was LDS Mormon. I pulled his record and I never dealt with the LDS funeral before. So I, I called some of my family members because you know, they're, they're Mormon as well. And I asked a lot of questions and they were great. They helped me out. Um, so, I went on to start getting the team together and I found out the chaplain was Mormon. The escort duty driver was Mormon. Um, the firing squad was just, they knew that the lead of it was somebody I had worked with before. All these just connections and people I knew from before were coming into the fray. Um, they gave me a general officer. I didn't care for him. He didn't have a very good bedside manner. So I asked oh. another general officer and when I called, I actually said, well, do you think I can get an LDS one, a Mormon one? And they, they were like, well, you know, you're going to have to call big army CMOC and ask them. So I said, okay. So I did. And, um, there's only one Mormon general in the entire army. Oh, wow. I'm in Texas. This guy was in Hawaii. <laughs> oh, wow. That is. So I was like, well, how can I get him? And they said, if he's willing to come, you can have them. We'll, we'll put them on orders, but he has to be willing to come out, you know? And I'm like, I, I, I'm not going to, I, I'm a captain at the time. I'm not, captains don't call generals, you know, <laughs> we, we just don't do that. So, um, but I got his number and I called up and I got a hold of his aide de camp. Who's also a captain. And the guy that answered said, um, you know, this is captain Alice. can I help you, sir, ma'am? And I'm like, Dietrich. And he's like, Yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, now Dietrich Owsby, I had changed his baby's diaper when I was in Germany for the first time in the hospital. I threw his wife's baby shower. It was amazing. And I hadn't spoken to him in years. And out of all the thousands upon thousands of people that could possibly have answered that phone, it was him. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So we caught up and then I asked him for my favor. And he's like, well, let me ask. And he did. And the general wrote a note back and he said, absolutely. Oh, wow. That's a small world. So he flew in and we went to the, you know, we did the funeral. Now, do you know what the Patriot Guard is? I do not. Okay. That's okay. Patriot Guard is a motorcycle group that supports the military and supports military funerals. And what they do is they show up in mass and they ride in front of the funeral procession and they, they, they form a flag line. It's like a security element in a sense, right? Right. 
Well, the day that we had that funeral, it rained. I mean, it rained. It rained. Mm -hmm. It was pouring. And um, so we get out there and the Patriot Guard motorcycles parked a distance away. And um, we had the funeral in the rain. And as the bishop said the last word, it was a beautiful talk. And he said his last word. All of a sudden, I hear music playing. And I'm mm -hmm. like. Oh my gosh, my picture perfect funeral is ruined. Someone's playing music. What's going on? And I looked up and I looked around and I see this Patriot Guard guy just sprinting towards his bike that had shorted in the rain. Oh, wow. Right? Not enough to come back on. And it was playing this country song. I mean, imagine, you know, this happy love song, country song playing in at the end of a funeral. You know, I, I was just, I was infuriated. So I went up to the um, the widow after, and I, I went to her, and I'm like, ma'am, I am, I am so sorry. I am so sorry. And she was like, well, for what? And I said, for the country song. And she looked at me, and she said, well, that's strange. And I said, what? She said, um, that was Ray's favorite song. That is some divine intervention for you. Yes. I'm telling you, something is out there. Um. God does exist. And in this entire funeral that we had, all the connections, all the coincidences that I don't really believe in coincidences. I think that they're they're meant to be. Right. And all these coincidences that happened brought it together to be the most perfect funeral that I had ever, ever, ever did. And um, I was just grateful that I got a chance to be a part of that. Something bigger than myself. You know? Right. So yeah, that that's, was, there's my story. There, there's my story by a time in the military. Well, that's a, that's actually very interesting. The fact that all these things were, uh, well, you say you don't believe in coincidences, but they were coincidences. The fact that you, that um, the the officer that you got the different or the person you got in contact with was uh, you changed their baby's diapers and went to their <laughs> baby child. So that is crazy. And the fact that the country song was um ray's favorite is even more crazy yeah 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 but stuff like that happens to me all the time all these strange things that you know i just i just listen and i i obey i say okay you get a gut feeling do this okay i'm gonna do it i'm gonna yeah. call somebody or whatever it's telling me to do <laughs> yeah sometimes you just gotta trust your gut yep yeah but i um overall i had a, a pretty good time in the military I will say um, my officer years were different than enlisted years. Enlisted was like a lot of fun. Officers were a little bit more um, disciplined, I would say. Let's just say disciplined. Um, we we were. It's more like your executive branch as opposed to your, you know, your white collar folks down here. Right. Um, but it was more fun to be enlisted because <laughs> we all we all just got along and it was great. I miss those days. Well, that's good. So I'm, I'm guessing. So have you um, stayed in touch with with a lot of your buddies from the military? Facebook is amazing. Yes. <laughs> yes. We created some groups for um, for our units. So mm -hmm. there's like K Company 159 Aviation and Bravo Company 2nd of 159. And people are coming out of the woodwork, joining these groups that used to be stationed in that unit. And it's a way to connect. And it's just a way to to um to find people from your past right say hey remember when you know it's great i love it 
I love it. And um, periodically they have a reunion. Haven't been one, to one yet, but uh, I hear there's one coming up in Savannah. Got to get there. But yeah. Okay. So, um, with so you said that your husband was a pilot, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So, what was it? Like um, with him being a pilot and you being in the field you were, what was it like? What was it like for you, for you to like, like, what was it some struggles or were you guys able to work through it? Because I can, I, I can hardly imagine what it's like dating a, a pilot in the army because he'll have to go, he'll have to go somewhere and, and like put his life on the line for this country. So what was, what was it like for you? It was hard. It was hard. It was hard. Um, we were like a well-oiled machine, though, and we we had children, and you know, I was always there to take care of the kids, and never had to leave them um, if for any given period of time, lengthy time that is. Um, but we would do things like when he deployed, instead of um, well, I would write letters and send pictures, but I would do these little music videos. And have the kids lip sync to him and act to him and dance to him and have a really good time and send those because he could see them playing and having a good time. And um, so we did we did what we could to make it work, you know, and um, unfortunately, in the end, we, we did split up. But but at the time when we were both in, it was probably better for me to have a spouse that was in the military that understood what I was going through. Right. And we can come home on a daily basis and talk with the same language and um understood like military jargon right so that worked out well um it got funny at a point where we used to laugh because i was a specialist when i met him he was a warrant officer and then over time i progressed and so did he and he became a cw5 and i became a major <laughs> <So> <laughs> he had to salute me <laughs> we used to joke about that a lot but yeah yeah well, well, it's good to hear that you guys were able to uh, work it out for so long. So you said you had, um, how many kids do, do you have? I have four. Oh, four? Yes. I have a 23-year-old. Um, he's in, in Alabama. Okay. I have um, a 19-year-old, a 15-year-old, 16-year-old, and a 13-year-old. He's about to be 14. Oh, okay. My 16-year-old's about to start driving. She's been practicing, but... She won't get that license. I know she'll get it. She'll get it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's a good so, so do you think that um, any of your kids will follow in your artistic footsteps? You know, it's funny. My daughter does. Oh, really? Yeah. She um, she loves art. She loves she's she's an artist. She draws. She paints. She does all that stuff. Um, but she gets into filmography as well. She does. A, she has her own TikTok channel with like over a thousand followers and she does cosplay. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she gets on there she does a really good job and I'm, I'm amazed. I'm like, I don't even recognize her, <laughs> but uh, I have to monitor it, you know? Oh yeah. Make sure she's, she's staying in, in her lane, but. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's nice. Well, well, that's nice to hear that your daughter is actually um, following it in your footsteps, like following the artistic footsteps. Yeah. Yeah. None of them have really gotten into like cinematography, like to the level that I've been in. I did a film called My Brother's Keeper 
you know, I was executive producer and I put them in it. Oh, and really? They are SAG eligible, but they're we never made that leap yet. We haven't made that leap of faith oh. to the SAG side. <laughs> um, but yeah, in 2016, I did my. Well, let me let me back up. I'm gonna tell you a story. Okay, tell me a story. I okay, love stories. So, so there I was. No, I'm teasing. Um, <laughs> so I, when I retired from the army, I wanted to follow my passion and my passion was film, right? Right. Um, but I wasn't sure how to get started. And then I met a guy named Anthony Paderewski in Savannah, Georgia, who was a photographer. And he recommended that my family tries doing background acting mm -hmm. and kind of pointing me in the right direction. So I said, okay, and we tried it. And my kids kind of dropped out pretty quickly, but I stuck to it. And 30 something films later, they're not on my IMDb because you're not supposed to really put background acting on IMDb. It's uncredited. Um, but 30 something films later, I got tired of it. I was in things like The Do Over with Adam Sandler and Live by Night with Ben Affleck and The Detour with Samantha B. Um, you know, just a bunch. It just goes on and on and on and on. And so many I've forgotten. And, um, I got tired of being in front of the camera. I got tired of being the little background girl sitting in the corner eating an apple. You know, I wanted to be something. I wanted to run the show. I wanted to be behind the camera. I wanted to make that art. I wanted to make that film. And so I, um, I stumbled across a Indiegogo and it was a local artist named Simone. And she, um, she invited me to come on board to help her as an executive producer. And I, um, I did it and she taught me everything that I needed to know about it. We worked so hard on that film and it's a beautiful, beautiful story about, um, two children. One's a, a master and one's a slave and they become friends and they don't see a difference in, in color. They don't see any of that stuff. They become really close friends. And one teaches the other how to read on the Bible. And um, then slavery is abolished and off they go and they separate and they cry. And they're like, you know, it's really, it's a very sad scene. And then um, they go on their paths through life and one goes to become a pastor and the other one ends up in jail. Well, they come back together in the end where the pastor brings redemption to his friend in jail and they're, they're back to being friends again. It's oh. just a beautiful story. Beautiful. Um, I was excited about it because it went to Cannes Film Festival, uncredited. Um, it didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't like non, it was non-competitive, but okay. it was down there. And um, it went to a bunch of other film festivals. It won a Telly Award. Um, and just a beautiful, beautiful thing, beautiful experience. And from there, I went on to do other short films. I did Woke. Um, I did Pretty Big Girl. That was primarily out of Alabama. I used to live there. Um, and I worked with a girl named Laura Ann Heaton Gray. And she is amazing. She's so great. She's like one of these people that the diamond in the rough that is just so artistic and so creative and so intuitive and has a huge story behind her. And um, we just kind of bonded and became best friends. And she has gone forth and done so much with her life. Um, you really should talk to her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, but no, she and I made a bunch of films together. And then I moved to Texas. And since I've been here, I've done a voiceover 
Um, I've done a commercial, I've done a couple small projects, whatnot. And um, I'm into writing a lot these days. So I've been That's writing right. quite a bit. Um, I believe it or not, I use my notes page on my phone and it's packed full. I'll just, I can type faster than I can write. And I don't like working on a computer. I don't know why. I, mm -mm. <laughs> I'm a phone person, but I have written out so many stories and it's just a great experience and it lets out so much. You know, so yeah. Okay, seems like you've had a very um, fun start to your career. Oh so, yeah. Um, my so I want to talk about the Brothers Keeper. What was it like? Um, what was it like being an executive producer? Like, were you nervous of things were going not going to go right? <laughs> like, I trust. I trusted in God. I was like, this is going to be great. I, um, I was nervous. I will say I was nervous, but I pitched in and did as much work as everybody else. Um, executive producer typically is going to be somebody who's doing more of the administrative stuff, but I was in on set every day, um, doing stuff like setting the setup and helping whatever I can do. And it's my biggest learning curve there, just kind of learning each of the crew positions right. and how to run the film and how to produce it and how to direct it. And I watched, I did that from watching Simone and um, she was, she was just amazing. Okay. I was trying to find your short film before this, before this interview, but there's so many brothers keepers that I found like, I don't know. I do not know which one it, it is. You no, know, you know, it went to 2016, the Christian Film Festival, and one there. Um, it's on ChristianCinema.org. Okay. Mm hmm But yeah, like that's just really amazing that you executive, like even though it's a short film, I still feel like that's a really huge accomplishment because that's still that's still that's still in the in the um in the industry. Yeah. So um hold on because i had some i had some questions for you um so was there like a key moment in your life when you realized that film is my passion and this is what i want to do yes it was photography actually i okay. wanted to be um when i was in the military i was a human resource officer I wanted to be a public affairs officer. I asked and I asked and I asked and the army didn't see fit to make me that, but I really got into photography then. And um, I transitioned to film when I started doing background work and I saw what these, these, these people were doing and it was so creative and so wonderful um, that I wanted to be a part of that. I want to be, in that group i want to be on that crew i wanted to be part of something greater than myself right. and um it kind of it kind of went that way as i retired from the army it was just i knew that's what i wanted to do for the rest of my life okay so would you say that your experience in the military and in, in, in well no, and in the army would you say that that helped you like helped you um in film so yeah. far Yes, yes, yes. Um, a lot of it takes like right now, primarily I work as a as a production supervisor or UPM. Right. Um, 
And that takes a lot of structure and discipline and you have to be on top of it and you have to be moving at a fast pace. And it's, I just fit right in that world. Um, I really love doing it. And um, you're kind of like a ringmaster of, of like the whole crew who's doing what, and you're directing these people over here in the crew to do this and those people to do that. And, um, and just handling any of the little issues that are going on. And I love that because you feel needed. You feel right. like you're, you're an integral part of something and it's, it's a great feeling. Okay. So now we're going to get to some of the fun questions of the interview. Okay. What would you say is your favorite film of all time? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Forrest Gump. I'm sorry. Yeah. I know it's been played and played and played. I've seen it seven times in the theater, but every single time I watch it, I see something new. I just think he's so creative. Um, Tom Hanks is just great. He's just great. And um, I'm also a big fan of Julia Roberts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Can't, can't forget about Julia Roberts. Also, t Tom Hanks, I, there's nothing to be ashamed of because a lot of people love Forrest Gump. It's just there's something about it. The soundtrack is amazing. The stories are amazing. It's hilarious. Um, it, it makes you feel good. You know, it makes you feel good. Yeah. And and what's so crazy about that movie is that, like, um, Forrest, like, you see, uh, you're going through life with Forrest, and he was there for a lot of world events. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so I think that's also a, a nice appeal to the movie is because is because it'll always be relevant because he was technically a part of a part of history. Yeah. Yep. It's a great show. Okay. So um, now, what, okay, if you were able to travel back in time and give words of wisdom to a young Christy, what would you tell her? Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about the little stuff. Be grateful for what you have today. Be humble. Um. I think a lot of us focus too much on worrying about the future and what's going to happen and, oh, my gosh, and what if, and we analyze. And No, I would tell myself, just worry about today and slow down. And remember, remember to take a look around and appreciate the beauty around you. You know, I, I can I tell a story? Oh, yeah. Go, go ahead. The floor okay. is yours. I went to the store today. I went to the store today. I even put this on Facebook. And I was in a frozen food section and I came around the corner and I encountered this man in a wheelchair. And it wasn't the wheelchair that I noticed right off the bat. It was the fact that he was wearing a Vietnam veteran hat with all his like little lapel pins and, and, and little things in his rank. He was a sergeant first class. And um, I humbled myself because every time I see a Vietnam veteran, my heart goes out. And I'm like very thankful for everything that they've done for us, all service members. He was in his wheelchair and he was struggling. He was elderly. He was struggling to reach some items on the upper shelf. So I went up to him and I'm like, hey, can I, can I help you? You need some help? Need a hand? And he's like, sure. And he let me get the items for him. And he's like, well, thank you. Thank you very much. And I noticed a ring on his finger. So I, I assumed he was married. And I said, well, where's your wife? She should be here helping you. And I was just joking. But he, um, he just kind of looked at me with these soft, blue, watery eyes. And he was like, she passed away last winter. Oh, man. 
and I started to, to tear up a little bit, you know, I'm like, I'm so sorry. And he's like, don't worry about it. I appreciate you. And I just looked at him and I said, I appreciate you. Thank you for your service. Thank you for everything that you've done. Um, can I do anything else for you? He had me to grab a couple more things <laughs> and, and off he went, but it just made me humble and made me think that, you know, he was just a beautiful old soul. I mean, this, lines etched on his face, just memories of his age. And, you know, it was just, um, it made me realize that life moves very quickly, very right. fast. And then that moment's behind you and it's gone and you can't ever get it back. So you, you better embrace that moment, every moment and tell the people that you love, that you love them every day, because we don't know if tomorrow's guaranteed. So right. You have that chance. Yeah. That's, I guess that's kind of what I live by. It's, I always try to live my life like it's my last day because you never know what it's going to be. Because even though I'm still young at 28 years old, I spent 10 years in school wasting weight, not knowing what I wanted to do. Yeah. But it was a funny story because my me and my mom were talking when we were going to my brother's graduation. And she had reminded me of a story that, yeah, when you were young, your godmama, y'all used to be in the movie theater all day. And I was and I was like, when I thought about it, like, that probably makes sense to why I love movies so much. And that's the reason why I started this podcast is because I love talking about movies and because it was it's therapy for me. Like it it's yeah. it, it helps me, it's it's my safe space, like I'm comfortable. So I decided if I can make myself comfortable talking about movies, maybe I can make somebody else's day better by just talking about um, um my favorite movies, their favorite movies. And yeah, I just always felt like I said a lot of things when I was a kid. Like I said, I want to be a marine biologist. Don't know why. Cause I, I do not like big bodies of water. <laughs> <laughs> um, I tried biochemistry, did not know what I wanted to do with that criminal justice. I was kind of interested same with psychology, but then when I really, when I had my daughter and I really sat down and thought about it, it says, I think I should pursue film. Like, I, I think that like, cause I was so scared to like, what would my family think? Like I'm going to school just to make movies. But then I really thought about it. It's like, if you have a passion, just go for it. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm and, going to school and I'm almost 50. Yeah. Like that's why I'm, that's why I, uh, even when I was in school, there was people in their 60s and 70s still in yeah. school. So I was like, if they can still pursue a degree and something they want to do, then there's no excuse for me not to want to pursue something that I have a passion for. Absolutely. Yeah. So I see that you traveled a lot. Out of all the places you've traveled, what is your favorite? Oh, my goodness. That is okay. Yeah hands down um lithuania oh lithuania why lithuania yes lithuania i have a good friend named rasa and rasa when she was in the lithuanian army and she was like an exchange student with the military we do that in the military as well one of the military schools i went to and i was her little sponsor so um i told her one day i'm gonna come visit you at home and she said no you're not i was like <laughs> yeah yeah i am well, sure enough, I got stationed in Germany and I, I made it there. And she took me to Pagare, which is the, her little hometown. And I met her family. I mean, just salt of the earth people, great people. They had a tractor. They let me drive the tractor around the farm. 
we walked around. It was beautiful. It was just untouched. And I had a really, really good time there. And I went twice. I went back again. And I haven't been in a few years now. And she keeps bugging me about how I need to come see her. But um, yeah. You got to go back. <laughs> I had to go back. Seconded by Machu Picchu. Okay. Oh, I wanted to ask you about that. So I saw that you climbed Machu Picchu. What was what was that like? Well, okay. So Machu Picchu, when I say climb, there's two different ways. You can hike it on that two week long trip. I didn't do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> too uh, much. Yeah, no, I took I took the bus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we took the bus up to the to like a, a lower level, and then you you walk your way up, and you do some hiking, and it was um. It was surreal. It was stunning. It was it was just an amazing sight. And all these llamas were walking around, spitting on you and looking angry. And, you know, it, it just was great. It was great. And um, got a lot of great photos from it. It was a lot of walking. I was really <laughs> A lot of climbing, a lot of uphill. Yeah. Beautiful place. Okay. Yeah, I'm, me, I'm not the outdoorsy type, so I don't know I'll be hiking any Machu Picchu's anytime soon, but I'll get there. You'll get there. <laughs> so, let's see. Now, this is going to be a tough one. I, I always ask a a formal, uh, this formal question to everybody. The answer is no. <laughs> well, it can't be no, because it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a who you choose. So we all know Mount Rushmore, the four the four faces of the founding fathers. If you had a Mount Rushmore for directors, movie directors, what would your Mount Rushmore be? Steven Spielberg. Okay. Tom Hanks. Okay. Um. Sean Cunningham. Okay. That's a tough one. <laughs> Somebody got to get left out. Yeah. You know who I would put up there? Who? Laura Ann Heaton Gray. <laughs> My good well, friend. Yes, I would. She's amazing. She's that. She's great. Oh my gosh, she's great. Well, what's so well to be? Um, congratulations! You were the first to answer this as quick as you did because everybody else they they have to take their time because. <laughs> It's always that one spot, like you have to, like that last spot, you got to be careful because somebody's going to get left out. I was going to, well, um, no, I won't say who I was going to say. But... <laughs> I was going to leave it on a cliffhanger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, to all, um, to my, to the audience, what are you watching right now? Like what's piquing your interest in just movies, just art, TV, um, honestly, what's kind of keeping me busy right now is I'm a film festival judge. So oh, that's fun. Other films, I, I don't want to say which one because I don't want people to try to unduly influence me. But um, <laughs> there's a ton of films and they're short, and I got it. They're short films, and I've got to watch each one, and it takes a lot of time. Um, but it's it's really cool because I get to see all this artistic creat creativity and different different views and different um opinions in a film and I, I basically rate them and i judge them and i'll say for artistic value what you what do you rate them at and directing and acting all that stuff and it's great 
Um, so that's been what's kind of been keeping me busy lately. Okay. So I've never been to a film festival. I've always wanted to go to a film festival, mainly South by Southwest. Uh, yep. So um, what's it like at film festivals? Like what's the atmosphere like? Gosh, um, it's it's really thrilling. It's exciting. They have a lot of um, conventional kind of stuff there. They've got um, people bringing all, all different kinds of vendors. And then you go to the different films and you get to watch them. Mm-hmm. And um, it's just fantastic. It depends on which one you go to. I've been to one um, where I met a guy. He did a, a film called um, Crab Shack and Crab Track, Crab Track. And um, I went up to him and, and congratulated him like afterwards. And it was really, really cool because he actually introduced me to his sister who was Vanna White. And I'm like, what? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but no, it, it's a lot of fun to go. And it's, it's really great because you get to watch all these different, you know, short films, just like doing the judging stuff. Right. It's inspirational. Yeah, I've always wanted to go one go to one and mainly south by southwest because this past year i was really really sad i couldn't go because there was the film what i eventually saw when it came to theaters but everything everywhere all at once i wanted to see that film because it was showing there and i wish i did because i know that sometimes the sometimes the crew will be there and i just want to thank whoever made that film because that is probably the best film I've seen this year so far. And being a, being a movie reviewer, I've seen a lot of them this year. Yep. So, um, okay. Last question. And we're going to get a little deep. (laughs) Where at the, um, when you are gone and when you, when you, when we are all long gone, what do you want your legacy to be? That I was a good mom. That's always family comes first. Everything else just stuff that, you know, I did and it was great. And, but my children are everything to me and um, raising them has been the greatest joy and watching them become just the great people that they are has been so rewarding. I, I just want to re- be remembered as, as a good mom. Well, from what I have, from this conversation, I can tell that you are a fantastic mom and your kids are lucky to have you as a mother. Well, thank you. But this <laughs> I don't is, agree right now, but. <laughs> <laughs> but this has been really fun. I'm glad we got to um, have a conversation. Yeah, me too. It was great. Like I said, but um, that does it, y'all, for this interview. Of course, you know where to find me. You can find me at anchor.fm slash bring the popcorn podcast. Or you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash bring the popcorn. Or if you want to email me with any questions, comments, or concerns, just email me at bring the popcorn 93 at gmail.com. Now, before we go, Christy, is there anything you would like to tell the audience at all? Or like a way that they can see your work or anything? Oh, sure. Um, I'm on IMDb under Christy Crandall. I'm working on a webpage. And I'm on Facebook under Christy Crandall. There's a couple of us Christy Crandalls, but I'm the I'm the redhead. 
All right. Well, y'all, that does it. And just remember, when you come to these reviews and interviews, just remember to always bring the popcorn. All right, you guys, we are out of here.